0: you return that I might live in my house.
1: There was only one law back then. Then they found themselves under the wrath of God, meriting and awaiting punishment. So John is telling us here then, that's our position. And if you don't view sin in that way, then you don't understand anything about Jesus and why he was manifested, why he came to earth. And the answer to that question is simply, it was because of our sin.
0: If we weren't sinful and in need of saving, there was no reason for Christ to come to earth. This is a crucial step in coming to Christ. You have to acknowledge your status. You were born into a state of being against God. You served self above all others. You wanted to be your own God. As Pastor Mike will explain in today's message, when you acknowledge your state of wickedness, then you'll be in a place to believe in Jesus and what He came to do for lost men and women. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Child of God and Sin.
1: Let's go ahead and read that verse, 1 John chapter 3, in verse 5. Now, this is John writing uh, his epistle to the various churches. It, it was, this is known as a, a pastoral epistle or a general epistle. It wasn't originally sent to one particular church, like, for example, the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus. But rather, it was a, a letter that was written by John the Apostle and it was sent from one church to another. And so uh, in this epistle, he's exhorting the believers here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, and he says, and you know, so these are things, exhortations, subjects that he's treating, lessons that we should know. He says in verse 5, and you know that he, and in context he's referring to Christ, was manifested to take away our sins And in him, there is no sin. So once again, this evening's message, the child of God and sin. Now, let's back up a little bit. Let me set the stage for you. If you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you know that John here in this particular section of his epistle has been emphasizing the importance of righteous and holy living in the lives of all of God's children, So he's been talking about that. That's a subject that he's been treating. To do this, to accomplish this, he's been encouraging us to consider our position in Christ, all of the blessings, all of what God has made available to us in Christ. So consider our position. And as we consider our position in Christ, all of what God has done in us through Christ, all of the blessings and such, the natural, the logical conclusion that John wants us to come to, he makes this abundantly clear so that his readers will not go astray. So we're talking about, remember, the child of God and our relationship to sin. You see, back then, there were certain heresies being spread concerning the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and his work there were also heresies that were being spread uh, within the churches with regard to sin. Uh, Remember, early on in our series in 1 John, we were introduced to a group of of individuals who were uh, known as the Gnostics. And basically, the Gnostics taught that Jesus was rather an emanation from God. And he he was a spirit. And uh, he actually didn't possess a body. And therefore, God was not concerned about our bodies. You see, it was just simply enough to claim that we were Christians. God was, God, Jesus never revealed himself with a physical body. And therefore, God wasn't concerned about what we do with our bodies, as long as we confess that Christ is the Lord. And that was one of the heresies that were being promoted by these false teachers known as the Gnostics. And, of course, that lends itself to all kinds of uh, lasciviousness, riotous living, and uh, continuing to live in sin. So that's exactly what John is thinking about here in this particular text of Scripture. Now, we know that the Bible teaches us otherwise, that we are not to regard our sin lightly, dismissing it in some inadequate way, treating it as something that really doesn't matter, so long as I claim that I am a Christian. So John says, notice in verse 4, let's just back up one verse of Scripture. He says there in verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin Is lawlessness. He couldn't have made it any plainer than that. So the idea here is that you must be right about the whole question of the real nature of sin. Because if you are wrong, you're wrong about the doctrine of salvation. And then you're wrong about everything else. And so John's emphasis here in this section is that sin is lawlessness. It is the breaking of God's laws. It's rebellion against God. It's disobedience. It's a failure to live the way that God wants us to live. So what he's attempting to do is actually blow holes in this false teaching, the heresy that was being promoted by these Gnostics that were creating havoc within the church. Listen, man's essential trouble, says John, is that he is guilty and he has been condemned by the law of God. Now, we know that, and we've been talking about this, in fact, on Sunday mornings in our series in the book of Genesis, we know that sin was introduced into the world by the devil there in the Garden of Eden. Remember, God only gave Adam and Eve one restriction, one prohibition. Uh, They could enjoy all of what God had created, Throughout the physical universe, there was just one restriction. Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So uh, so the devil came along. He tempted Adam and Eve. And and eventually, Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then also gave it unto her husband, Adam. And then sin entered in. You see, that's lawlessness. Lawlessness disobedience and it was at that point as we've been discussing on Sunday mornings man became guilty in the sight of God and his holy law there was only one law back then then they found themselves under the wrath of God meriting and awaiting punishment so John is telling us here then that's our position and if you don't view sin in that way then you don't understand anything about Jesus and why he was manifested, why he came to earth. And the answer to that question is simply, it was because of our sin. Notice in verse five, he says, and you know that he, Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. Now I'm gonna catalog some of the other reasons why he came, but basically that was the main reason why Jesus came into this world. That was why God came in the form of a man. So let me ask you the question. What do we think about when we think of Christ's coming, and especially about his death on the the cross? What does that represent? What was its purpose? What does it represent to us? What's the real explanation of his life, his birth, His death, his resurrection, his teachings, his miracles. You see, these are the questions that John is answering here in this verse of Scripture. So this is pretty significant stuff. And if you don't get that one question right, if you don't see sin for what it really is, then then you're wrong about all of these other points that I've been talking about, that I've just mentioned. What his life was about, what his death was about, what his birth was about, his resurrection, his teachings, his miracles, you see. It could all be traced right back to the sin question. You see, Jesus didn't only come to give us the revelation of God, although he did that. Remember in his conversation that he had with Philip. And uh, Philip, on one occasion, who was one of his disciples, asked him the question, you know, Jesus, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus responded, he says, Philip, how long have you been with me now? If you've seen me, you've seen You want to know what the Father looks like, Uh, what he's all about? Well, just study the life of Jesus Christ. He accurately portrayed who God the Father is. He has not only come to teach us about God, although he also accomplished that through his incomparable, astonishing teachings. You know, some of the, the things that Jesus taught, some of the parables, the, great, the Sermon on the Mount, his great manifesto. We learned so much about God and our relationship to God, you know, through his teachings. So he not only came to teach us about God, although he did accomplish that, he didn't only come to leave us an example to follow, which, of course, he, he also did that as well. You know, how we should live our lives, You know, the matchless example he laid down for us to follow in his footsteps. Listen, all of these things are in its proper place, but the real reason Christ came was because of our sins, because of the predicament and the position of men and women, because of the whole question of the law and the demands of the law. You see, it's all about our relationship to God in the light of God's holy law. He had to come if we were to be delivered. There was no other way we would be delivered and rescued and redeemed. Jesus himself said in Luke's gospel in chapter 19 and verse 10, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. So he, Jesus came because of what sin had done to us and the position in which it had landed us. So here's the question. What has God done with regard to our predicament? And again, John tells us that we don't understand the Lord properly apart from ourselves and our sinful condition, apart from this whole question of the law. And think of the demands that the Old Testament law made upon mankind. You know, it demanded obedience, right? It demanded obedience. It, it made great demands upon us for obedience. You know, back then uh, there was also, uh, you know, for their sins to be covered under the Old Testament covenant. They, they had to offer up the perfect uh, sin offering. There had to be the blood sacrifice. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there was no remission or forgiveness of, of sins. So the law made great demands upon mankind. So the first statement John makes here, let's go back to verse 5 again. Notice there in the latter part of verse 5, he says, and in him there is no sin. Now I want you to think about that in relationship to the, the demands that the law made upon man as a relates to the sacrifices that were to be offered. It was to be an animal sacrifice. There had to be the shedding of blood. And the sacrifice that was to be presented and laid upon the altar for the sins of of the person to make atonement had to be a perfect sacrifice without blemish and without spot. So I want you to think of that in relationship to Jesus. And in the same way, Jesus was perfect. He was spotless. He was blameless. He was born without sin. So looking at Jesus in terms of the law, these truths are essential because in him is no sin. And that's what John is telling us here in this verse. So Christ is someone who has been in this world of ours with all of its sin, with all of its shame. He was in all points, tempted like we are, yet without sin, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And, uh, and, and by the way, that's one of the, one of the reasons why he can sympathize with us. You know, the Bible tells us in that same text of Scripture that we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize or relate to our condition or situations or temptations, all of the things that we go through in our life's experience, because he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So Jesus is someone who is unique and separate. He's not some great moral teacher, as someone would suggest or have you to believe, or some religious genius. Folks, he is the Son of God incarnate, and in him is no sin. And so that's what John is trying to impress upon us here in this verse of Scripture. But not only was there no sin in him and in his birth, He committed no act of sin while he walked upon this earth for some 33 and a half years. He always honored the law. He obeyed it fully and carried it out perfectly. You see, what God had demanded from man and man had failed to do, here is one, that one being Jesus, who does it. Thus, he satisfied the law. You see, these are things that are so essential to our Christianity. Now, this knowledge is essential not only to our Christianity, but also to our salvation. For the problem with man is not only the problem of the guilt of sin, because merely to be forgiven is not enough. We have to keep the law of God. That's the demands that are placed upon us. Let me give you a cross-reference. In Romans chapter 8, now I'm not, not, now I'm not preaching Don't misunderstand here. I'm not trying to bring anyone back under a law kind of a relationship between you and God. That's not where I'm going with this. What we couldn't do, what what we haven't done, Christ did for us. But in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, there was no way that we could obey the law, all right? There's nothing within us that lends itself to our obeying the law. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And then in verse 4, that the righteous requirements of the law, you see, God is a righteous God, and the standards of the law still had to be met. But the problem was man couldn't keep them. And so he had to send the substitute who is Jesus in our place, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but rather according to the spirit. And so here's the dilemma. We have to keep that law, but we have not kept it. We cannot do so. And we can only keep it in him, that is in Christ. You see, Jesus kept the law for us. He has rendered this obedience and satisfied the demand of the law of God on our behalf. He became the perfect sacrifice and offering for our sins. He was that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world without blemish, right? Without sin, without blemish. He was a type, if you think about it, going back to the Old Testament covenant, he was a type and a shadow of the perfect offering, that lamb without blemish, without spot. He came in the flesh, he was born as a man, and yet Jesus was without sin. Therefore, he can offer himself, and it is a perfect offering. And by doing that, John says, notice in verse 5, go back to our text again, And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. And gang, that's exactly what he did. He came in the flesh, born as a man, and yet Jesus was without sin. Therefore, he can offer himself, and it is a perfect offering. And by doing that, John says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And that's exactly why on that day when John was down at the Jordan River baptizing people and Jesus appears upon the scene, the heavens open, right? And he draws all of the attention of all of his disciples towards Christ and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John's gospel, by the way, in chapter 1 and verse 29, this is the explanation of the cross. Our sins have been laid upon him. They have been dealt with there in him. Remember the title of this evening's message where we're we're trying to go with all of this. This is what I'm trying to impress upon you, the child of God in sin, our relationship to sin. How do we view it? This dilemma, how has God dealt with it? Your sins and mine do not any longer belong to us. They have, in essence, been taken from us. He has made himself responsible for them. You know, one of my favorite texts of Scripture in the Old Testament, it's a a messianic, prophetical announcement concerning Christ and his ministry and the reasons why he was to come. At this point, he hadn't come yet. But in Isaiah 53, in verse 6, it says, the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You see, that's exactly what God the Father has done. He's laid our sin, our iniquity, upon us. Jesus. And so, gang, this is why he came. This is why he staggered up Golgotha and was nailed to the cross. The law demanded that it would never have happened were it not for the law. And that is why we must never regard sin as something light and trivial. And that's what this message is all about. That's what John's exhortation is all about. Remember, he's refuting. He's trying to blow holes in these heresies that were swirling around within the early church that were being promoted by these Gnostics. It is such a terrible thing, sin. And this is the way that we are to perceive it. This is the way that we are to treat it, view it. It is such a terrible thing that it led to the death of Jesus. I hope your outlook upon sin is the correct one. If you're a believer living a righteous life, it's not a matter of indifference. It's not some option that we have, you know, just to continue to entertain sin, to just don't allow God to transform us or to, you know, just continue the way that we once lived our lives before making that decision for Christ, our conversion experience. You see, those who really believe live this life because they see things in the light of the law of God and of the cross and of the Christ who came as the Lamb of God.
0: In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long The book of 1 John teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you, beginning on that very first day, and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org. You'll find them under the Resources tab. Come visit us, too. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, Visit HarvestNYC.org or join us online to worship through the live stream. Each Thursday, we're also meeting virtually to step back into the Word and worship the Lord. We'd be honored if you'd join us. 7.30 online at HarvestNYC.org While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given, and we'll use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. We hope you'll join us again right here on In My Father's House. Trouble